Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That is the question that we've been asking week after week throughout this whole series in the Gospel of John. As we've seen, John presents Jesus in some very stark terms. He's very in your face. It's, it's light and dark, life and death. Are you in or are you out? Do you believe it? That's, that's what we've been asking. Will you give your life to follow this man? Will you follow Jesus? Now, Last week for Easter, we did something that might seem a little bit out of the ordinary in a series all about belief. In a, a series about belief, we talked about doubt and, and skepticism. And we, we looked at the story of so-called doubting Thomas and how Jesus met him gently uh, in his doubt. He worked through his doubt to bring him to a place of belief. And my hope and my prayer uh, is that some of us found encouragement in that, in knowing that, that belief is not an absence of doubt, right? It's not an absence of doubt. Belief is what we choose to do in the midst of our doubt. And in fact, I, I wrote in my notes, my hope and my prayer, uh, that prayer's been answered earlier, uh, last service, we had baptisms, and two of the people who were baptized told me that they made the decision to get baptized because of our Easter services. They felt like they had the enough to go on with that belief. Yeah, it's amazing. Praise God for that. And so again, belief is not the absence of doubt, it's what we choose to do in the presence of our doubt. And I'm sure there may be, well, I don't know for sure, but I imagine there are some of you that when we're doing baptisms later in this service, you may feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart to make this the day that you say, like Thomas did last week, my Lord and my God, that you're ready to declare along with everybody else getting baptized that you are ready to make that choice. Well, today, um, as we bring this whole sermon series to a close, there's one other potential obstacle to belief that I want us to talk about. What do you do when the problem standing in your way is not doubt, but shame? When, when it's not doubt, but shame? What do you do if you feel unworthy to follow Jesus because of what you've done or 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 because of how messed up you are, because of who you think you are? Like, what do you do in that case? Or, or what do you do if your faith in Jesus has crumbled? If it's, if it's maybe you, you've deconstructed everything and now you don't really know what you believe anymore. The things that you once held dear don't really apply. If you want to believe, what do you do if you want to believe but you don't really know how anymore? Is there a way back to belief when you've lost your way? That's what we're going to talk about today. So today, we're going to look at one final story from the Gospel of John, and it's actually the last time that Jesus appears to his disciples in the Gospel of John. So we're going to look at that, and it picks up directly after what we read last weekend. It's going to be John 21, page 902 in the House Bibles in the seat in front of you. I invite you to follow along if you'd like to. It's, a, it's, it's always nice to, to follow along and see, as my dad always said, that I'm not making this stuff up, Okay. So uh, before we do that, let me pray for us. Father God, we invite you into this time. We invite you into this space. Uh, I'm so grateful, God, for the way that you have revealed yourself to us through the series, for the, the lives that we are seeing transformed in the waters of baptism. Uh, but Father, today I know that you still have some work to do in our hearts. And so I pray in these next few moments that I would simply disappear, that your Holy Spirit would remain, and that you would speak clearly to every one of us, that we would have ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Also, I forgot, before we dive into this passage, I do have one more thing to just remind you of. You already heard about our welcome party right after this service, but I just want to add my invitation to what Amy already shared. Uh, We are going to be in room 111 right after this service, and I would love to meet you if you're new, new new-ish, not new, but you're not involved, whatever. I would love to meet you. It's a great way for you to hear about what makes grace grace. I'll talk about some of the values that are kind of at the core of Grace Church and In case you're curious, I'll give you a personal tour of the uh, care center. If you've never seen that and would like to see that, I will take you back there and show you around. So come to the welcome party right after this service if you are ready to to get a bit more involved here at Grace. Okay, all right. Chapter 21 of John. Again, right after what we read was was, uh, doubting Thomas, and now we read this. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was, and he called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Okay, so we'll stop there for a moment. Uh, first of all, can I just say how much I love Peter? I mean, dude is such, he's ridiculous. He's a hot-headed, uh, impulsive guy. Uh, he's all heart. He's all heart. That, like, no brains, all heart. That kind of defines Peter. He's boisterous. He's passionate. Frankly, he's constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. It's, he's embarrassing himself. But more, remember la- uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Like he's, washing, he's about to wash his disciples' feet and Peter's like, no, never in all eternity will you wash my feet. And then Jesus is like, I have to wash your feet. And he's like, okay, well then wash my whole body. Like he do- you know, he's, he's awesome. I love him. So, okay, so Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore. The rest of the disciples are like, hey, come on, man. We got this fish, whatever. He's just 100 yards. It's like a, a whole football field. He decides to swim in a full tunic to get to Jesus. Okay, you get all that. But here's a question I have for us, all right? How, how, before they got to shore, how do they know that it was Jesus? I mean, verse 4 tells us they didn't even know who it was, but then the disciple that Jesus loved, one of the disciples, says, it's the Lord, and Jesus, uh, and Peter jumps in in the, the water. So how did they know who it was? Well, I have a hunch, pretty, I think it's a pretty fair hunch, uh, that the answer is because this is not the first time that these disciples have experienced a miraculous catch of fish. This is not the first time they've experienced this. Uh, Here at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, we're getting a repeat 
of something that happened before, way at the very beginning, in fact. If you look at the Gospel of Luke, Peter, at the very beginning, he's just a simple fisherman. He's just a, a guy on a boat, and he and his friends haven't really, they haven't become disciples. They're just kind of around. Uh, when this local rabbi named Jesus, he uses Peter's boat to, to preach from. They're on, on the lake, and Jesus kind of has them go out a little bit so that he can preach to the audience on, on the shore. And, and then after he preaches, Jesus tells Peter, hey, let's, uh, let's go out and go get some fish. And they hadn't caught anything all night, just like here in John 21. They hadn't caught anything, but they're like, all right, we'll give it a shot. They go out, and he says, yeah, put your, put your net down here. And they do, and lo and behold, it's a miraculous catch of fish, hundreds of fish. It's too many. They could barely even pull the net in. It's, it's crazy. Well, in that moment, in Luke, in Luke, uh, this is what he says about Peter's reaction in that first moment. Here's what it says. When Luke says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened— he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. You see, this was the moment that Peter became a disciple, became a follower of Christ. That first miraculous catch of fish. So you can understand when the exact same thing, no fish all night, and then, and then they, they, some stranger tells them to fish in a certain way, and they get this huge catch of fish. The same thing happens. You can understand that they finally realize, okay, that's him. It's got to be him. They have no doubt, and, and Peter jumps off the boat. Impulsive Peter on his way to see Jesus. But here's what I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss this. Yes, this moment in John is, is sort of a, 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 do, a repeat miracle, but that's not all this is. Jesus here is doing something very intentional, very intentional. He is, he is by doing this miracle in this way, he is setting the stage for a very important conversation. In Luke 5, that, that first miraculous catch of fish, uh, it brings Peter to a place of shame, right? Remember that? He says, he says uh, about his own sinfulness, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He's full of shame when he sees the power of Jesus. Well, here in John 21, we know that Peter is facing a different kind of shame, isn't he? He's about to have his first one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus since he denied knowing him during the crucifixion. Three times he denied knowing him. I don't even know the man, he said, as Jesus was being tried and, and put to death. So you can understand that the last uh, moment that we saw Peter and Jesus together, it was the moment before Peter denied knowing him at all, okay? Last week we saw Jesus meeting Thomas in the middle of his doubt, working through his doubt. Well, now we are going to see Jesus meeting Peter in the midst of his shame. He is setting the scene for that conversation. In fact, he doesn't even miss the little details, and I, I, I found this super interesting. Maybe I'm just a big Bible geek, but in verse 9, uh, we see that Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire. I, every other time in my life, uh, I've missed this detail, but he prepares a charcoal fire. Well, that charcoal fire, in Greek, it's the word anthrakia, okay? And, and it doesn't matter. You don't need to know that. But anthrakia, it means, you know, a mass or a heap of live coals. There is only one other place in the entire New Testament where we see that word used, that, that charcoal fire. And you know where it is? 
It's the charcoal fire that Peter is warming himself by in the courtyard where he denies Christ. Think about that. Jesus is setting the scene. He's providing the exact same setting where Jesus denied him for what's about to come. So let's take a look at what what he says to address Peter's shame, okay? Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied knowing him three times by, by a charcoal fire. And here, by another charcoal fire, Jesus asks him three questions, and he gives him three commands. This is no coincidence. It's no coincidence. Jesus is dealing honestly with Peter's denial. He is bringing Peter to a place of acknowledgement of what he had done. It's like he's saying, look, Peter, we both know what happened here. We both know what happened. But, but, but I want you to understand something. Jesus, I don't believe at all, is shaming. I don't think he's shaming Peter for his actions. That's not what he is doing here. He's not condemning, here, uh, condemning him here. It may seem, yes, he's being a little bit harsh by asking him three times. Even, it says even in verse 17, Peter is hurt by this. More literally, he is grieved by this. His heart is, is just heavy because it feels like Jesus is pouring it on. But that's not what he's doing. First of all, he's acknowledging three denials, three questions, three commands. But, but think for a second about what Jesus is saying and what he could have said instead, right? What Jesus could have said. He could have said, Peter, it's fine. It's okay. We all make mistakes. I forgive you. Don't worry about it, bud. Like, it's, it's fine. That's not what he says. What he says is, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is about more than just forgiveness, isn't it? It's about more than just forgiveness. Back in John 10, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Well, the good shepherd did sacrifice his life for the sheep, right? Jesus died and rose again to bring true life to his flock, his flock. And now, by the charcoal fire, Jesus is giving Peter the responsibility of caring for that exact same flock, of carrying the mission forward. He's given Peter the responsibility of joining Jesus in the role of shepherd. Peter, Peter, the one who had denied Jesus three times, this is the man that Jesus is entrusting his flock to. Jesus is not just forgiving Peter here. 
He's not just reinstating him to a relationship. He is reinstating him to purpose. When faced with Peter's shame, Jesus calls him to a mission beyond himself. And guess where else he does this? Guess where else he does this? He does it in Luke 5 with that first miraculous catch of fish. Remember how Peter responds to the miracle? He he responds with shame. Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He responds out of his shame. But Jesus tells him then, from now on, you will be fishing for people. Think about that. It's a different metaphor, fishing for people, tending a flock, but the point is the same. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus calls shame-filled Peter to join him in his world-changing work. And here, at the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus calls shame-filled Peter to join him in his world-changing work. The subtext of this moment is powerful. I imagine it like this. It's like, Peter, you denied me three times. After all we went through together, you failed to remain faithful. But, Peter, I still believe in you. And you are the one that I want to carry my mission forward, feed my sheep. I love, I love that this is the way John finishes his gospel. I I just find this so compelling to me. I mean, look look at all these in-your-face questions that we've been talking about. This whole gospel, this whole story, these challenges. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And we see Jesus' followers failing left and right to do so. Thomas fails to believe, but then Jesus meets him in his doubt. And as we talked about last week, Thomas went on to change the lives of millions in Jesus' name. And here, Peter fails to remain faithful. But Jesus calls him into his destiny, and he goes on, church tradition tells us, to lead the church, the global church, for decades. And all this stuff about being led where he doesn't want to go, this was a reference to Peter's own crucifixion. Yes, he died for what he believed in as well. Even though his denial was out of a, out of a, a, a self-preservation mode of Peter, in the end, he didn't preserve his own life. He gave it up freely because of what he believed. This is what we see again and again. Jesus calls his followers out of shame and into purpose. Into purpose. Feed my sheep. I will make you fishers of people. Now, I think we can find great encouragement in this. I think John intends it to be that for us. Because I know some of you struggle with shame for past mistakes, for past sin, for past things that you've done. Just like Peter, you, you think of who you are or, or what you've done and you want to say just like him, oh Lord, please leave me, leave me, I'm, I'm, I'm such a sinner. If that's you, I want you to hear something important this morning. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in you. And I don't mean Jesus is obligated to forgive you because he, he died for all humankind and technically you count in that, so I guess he'll forgive you too. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus knows you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you've been through. And he is excited. He's excited to call you, you, into a purpose beyond yourself. And no, you have not earned it. You definitely haven't because none of us have. His question for you is not, are you worthy of such a high call, of such a high purpose? 
He's not asking you, have you earned my trust? No. His question to you this morning is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Is your answer yes to that question? Is it yes? Do you love Jesus? Then feed his sheep. God saved you by his grace, the Apostle Paul says. When you believed, you were saved by his grace. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And I'll paraphrase and say, you are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There is a reason you are here. There are good things for you to do in Jesus' name. And guess what? They are yours and yours alone. They're yours. He believes in you to do that. He is waiting for you to live into that purpose. So bring your shame to him. Bring your sin. Let him forgive you with his unbelievable mercy. But more than that, more than that, let him sweep you up into your destiny, the very reason that you were born. Jesus believes in you. And that purpose, those good things he's got for you, they are yours to discover the moment that you start to believe who he says you are feed my sheep. Now with all that said, I know there are others of you, many of you, facing a different kind of shame when it comes to your faith. I know because you've told me many of you are, are drifting recently, right? You've, you've been in a time of, of maybe a time of deconstruction. The faith that you once had is, is crumbled. It's, it's fallen apart, right? Maybe it began in a, in a healthy way. Maybe it was a journey of deconstruction that started as a, a helpful corrective to the toxicity in the modern evangelical church. Or maybe you, you experienced pain at the hands of, of someone saying they were acting in the name of Jesus, and so you've experienced that church hurt and you've, you've reacted against it. Or, or maybe, maybe you've, just moved, you've been moving away from some of the harmful theologies of your youth. But regardless, when you look at the, the spiritual landscape of your life, the spiritual house that, that you've built for yourself, it's clear, maybe it's clear to you, that you, you kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe in your reaction against Christians, you've unintentionally drifted from Christ. And now you feel lost or adrift from your first love. That's what happened with Peter. He was Jesus' number one fan, right? I mean, he was, he was the, the number one disciple. He's, he, he was the one who said, I'm ready to die for you before he denied Jesus, right? He was all in. But then when crisis came and his own life was threatened, Peter reacted with self-preservation. And he denied the Lord of his life. It was a wild miscalculation. It was a, an extreme overreaction. I can only imagine the turmoil in Peter's heart. Can you imagine what he went through in those first days and weeks after, after his betrayal? Even after Jesus had risen, Peter's spiritual house had collapsed. 
The structure of his faith was in ruins, and I could imagine that he thought it was never going to be rebuilt. Until, until Jesus met him by a charcoal fire, the very setting of his denial, and he gently reminded him, Peter, our journey together isn't over yet. In fact, it has only just begun. Feed my sheep. Follow me. If you are adrift right now, if your spiritual house is in ruins, if you have walked away from a faith that you once held so dear, my encouragement to you this morning is this. Sit by the charcoal fire and listen for the voice of Jesus. Bring your shame, bring your confusion, bring your questions, bring your hurt. And then listen. What is he saying to you? What does he want you to hear? Maybe it's this. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Maybe he's saying this, feed my sheep. Or maybe he's saying you were created anew in me to do the good things that I planned for you long ago. Here's what I'm saying to you. It is time for reconstruction. It's time to rebuild your spiritual house. It may not look at all like the house, the spiritual house that you once had, but Jesus is ready to build it with you. He's got a hammer. He's got some nails. He is ready to build that spiritual house alongside you. He's calling you, still calling you to join him in his mission to transform this world. Do you trust him enough to say yes? There is a reason that John ended his, gospels in the way, his gospel in the way that he did. With the stories of Thomas, the story of Peter, right? You've got the obstinate doubter, you've got the shame-filled failure, that's how he ends his gospel. You know why? Because they represent every one of us. At some point in our faith journey, we are all Thomas. We are all Peter. Which makes it all the more important to see how Jesus responds to them, right? He responds to them with love, with grace, with mercy, with tenderness. He responds by calling them out of shame and into purpose. Just as he is calling you. So in these next few moments, we're going to open the, the waters of, of baptism. I'm going to get down in there, and we are going to be baptizing people. We know that there are some who've already prepared to be here today, and I'm, I'm privileged. I am honored to be baptizing them along with Pastor Marin. But maybe somebody here is feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit to say, yes, I think I need to go and make a public declaration that I'm ready to start over. I'm ready to, to follow him. I don't ever have everything figured out, but I'm ready to say yes. If that's you, we're ready for you. You probably didn't come prepared to get soaking wet, but we were prepared. We've got shorts and towels. We've got everything you need. If that's you, I just encourage you to take that step of faith. Be brave. Be courageous. We all find ourselves in difficult times of doubt and confusion and skepticism and even the shame that Peter felt. But that doesn't have to be the end of our story. 
And for many of you, you've been baptized. You, 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 you've walked down this road with Jesus for a while, and I don't know where exactly your specific spiritual walk is, but if you are in a place where you are ready to, to, to recommit your life to him, or even just to make a statement to this community that yes, yes, I'm in. I'm in with Christ, and I need to, to let people know that. We've got a way for you to do that as well. Over here by the cross, we have candles, and they're floating to represent the waters of baptism. If you feel led, would you come down here, and would you light a candle to tell this community, yes, I follow Jesus, or I'm following him again? Make that public statement. We are waiting for you. Father God, what a privilege it is to be a part of this church family, to, to, to witness and watch as lives are transformed in your name, and to celebrate how you have so tenderly and gracefully loved and cared for so many of your flock. We are grateful that we get to participate with you in feeding your sheep, in watching over your flock. And Father, I pray that you'll continue to give us the wisdom to do it well. In this moment, can we celebrate, Father, with, with deep joy and deep gratitude as we see lives transformed. And Father, would you continue to walk with us and give us your Holy Spirit so that we can follow you into the, the unknown future that you have for us, knowing only that you've got some good stuff for us to do. Father, would you encourage us this morning, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.